right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Cells podcast. We've taken a week off. We're back. We're feeling refreshed. Eliza was ill, unfortunately. She's feeling better now. Are you feeling better, Eliza? Yes, physically. <laughs> no, I'm. I am all good now. I'm pretty lucky. I've actually like not been sick in almost four years. That was the first time, and it was just a cold. So, wow, four days. years in the whole yeah. COVID period. You never get. You never had. I've it? never had. Go- no, never. Um. So that's. I was very isolated though. I didn't see anyone when I was pregnant because I was so scared of it. So I attribute it to that. Um, but yeah, I'm all good, all healthy. How are you? Congrats on um, your show. I just forgot to mention what we were talking before that you've got a new, you're doing a tour, a solo. Oh yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just announced a solo stand-up tour. First one in nearly five years. So wow. come along to that. Uh, just to differentiate, most of the shows I spruik on this podcast are Comedy Untamed shows. So I'm at a lot of them, but that is a showcase of a lot of comedians. It's a bit of a side business that I run, but now I'm back to my solo tour as well. So it's called Villainera. And I didn't realize this, but Taylor Swift has a tour called Eras. And someone was saying, oh, you just called it Villainera. So you get the SEO, you get that Google search optimization I never thought of that, but hey, look, hopefully I get a bunch of Swifties at the show. <laughs> look, if you're a fan of Taylor Swift's music, um, can't imagine there's a huge this is crossover. The show for you. Uh, but look, uh, a bit edgier, uh, not appropriate for Today FM at 4 p.m. But look, uh, clever nonetheless, naughty but clever. That's my comedy. So yeah, come what? to uh, my show, neilkahacker.com slash tickets. That's the site to get tickets. I'm doing all the capital cities in Australia plus Canberra, uh, well, Canberra obviously is the capital, but um, plus Gold Coast and Newcastle. I'm not Woo-hoo. doing Hobart, unfortunately, uh, but all the other capitals and uh, Newcastle and Gold Coast. Wow. So did you have to do all the planning for this, um, like finding all the venues and stuff on your own, or did you have someone do it for you? Yeah, this okay. is the first time I've uh, managed a tour without uh, anyone else, no manager. Wow. Nothing, just uh, just me and congratulations. Thank you, hustle. <laughs> yeah, look, it's um, it's just a lot of admin. It's not really that difficult, yeah. but um, it was uh, it was good to get an insight on behind the scenes of uh, solo stand up touring. I basically yeah. am just you know doing a lot of business in terms of comedy now, on top yeah. of the actual comedy, which is well, it's good. I mean, who else would be appropriate to do something like that? Uh, other than someone who's been in the industry, being a comedian for 10 years. So wow. it's all going well. The the shows are going well. The show in Brisbane's about to kick off. 6th July, I'll be at that one. Then it starts weekly from August. So we'll have a weekly show in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. Um, oh my and God. then on my solo tour happening at the end of the year. So yeah, a lot going on. Very exciting. Wow. And how, how does your girl feel about you being away so much of the week? Um, I'm not like the solo tour is mainly, ju- I'll just fly to a city and yeah. then maybe stay there an extra night and come back. So yeah. I'm and what sure about, manage. <laughs> what about your comedy untamed? Is that you go to just not every single one? I don't go to, city? yeah. So I don't go to yeah. every single one of those. And I, I think I've managed in a way that I'm only skipping one of those, I think. So oh, good for you. Yeah. Um, but the, the solo tour is the material I've been working on for pretty much the last couple of years and it's all heats together in one final um, album, if you will. This is an album for comedians and then I 
I've been trying it, bits and bobs here and there at the other shows. But uh, look, the best show will be my solo tour. And then if you can't make it to that, come to the Comedy Untamed shows as well. Or come to so both. great. Come to all of them. Do both. Have a great time. For sure. Yeah. How exciting. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how, how's Remy? In fact, this will, this will lead into the uh, topic conversation of today. Remy is good. He's almost 10 months old, so that's pretty crazy. Oh, it's gone so fast. I know. It's so wild. Um, yeah, he's um, really happy. He's crawling around, climbing everything, very active, very friendly. Every time I take him out, he goes and finds every child he can and kisses them, which is kind of cute. Um, so, yeah, I'm that's loving it. That's definitely your child. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So, so affectionate, such a like a grabs everyone, kisses, wants to cuddle. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's ah, so interesting cute. as well, like seeing him compared to other babies and like the differences between them and how it's like you wouldn't think that babies at this age have such unique personalities, but they truly do. It's wild. But, yeah, I'm loving it. He's okay. he's a happy boy. What are some well. of the other uh- – before we go further, actually, I should yeah. have said the, the topic uh, at the top of the podcast, but we're actually, this is very relatable because we're going to talk about the way parenthood is represented in, in popular art and media compared to the way career is represented because I've been observing a little bit of this and mm. it, it seems to me that we showcase the reality of parenthood. I've been watching a few films on Netflix and things like that in regards to this. Whereas we seem to showcase the ideal of career, and these are very broad concepts, but I just watched a film with Kevin Hart where he was a stay-at-home dad and the wife uh, passed away just moments after giving birth. It was all very sad. But then they really showcase the reality of parenthood, the sleepless nights and the stress and the constant nappy changes and the baby vomiting and all these sorts of things. And it's a very nice story in the end, uh, but mm. you don't really see that with the way career is often presented in the media. We just see the ideal mm. because mm. there's so much paperwork and admin and just boring, laborious work that we just don't see presented when it comes to career. So um, tell me if you've observed a similar thing and if it relates to you personally. It's so funny because when you said you wanted to do this podcast topic, I thought you were going to do the opposite where you're like, oh, parenthood is really glorified. And I was like, oh. all I see on my TikTok these days is people making videos about the reality of being a parent. And it's almost like so impactful that people are like, mm, maybe I won't have kids. <laughs> like It makes it out to seem so terrible. Um, I get those videos constantly and I'm like, uh, it's not that bad. But I also then wonder like, well, how much of this is just my personal mindset on being not just being a parent, but my personality where I'm like a water off a back duck, back, a back duck, a duck's back <laughs> kind of person. Um, I don't get stressed very easily. I have a high stress tolerance. Or maybe it's that like being a parent all of a sudden seems so demonized and so much more exhausting um and which of course it is um but 
Yeah, it's it is really interesting. I've actually talked to a few of my friends about this because almost like everyone I know that has kids recently or is planning to have kids are saying like, I think I'm just going to have one kid because it just seems impossible to have more than one. And when after I gave birth to Remy, I remember I was saying it on my podcast because my pregnancy and my birth was so like traumatic. I was like, I'm having one kid. And now I'm at the point now where I'm like, I want two, three, four. I want to have one more biological kid and then foster heaps of kids. Um, <laughs> but I feel like that's. Look at you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's also at the cute stage though. So everyone's like, well, just wait till he's running around or he's a toddler, you'll change your mind again. Um, but yeah, it is it is interesting. I think that uh, a lot of the videos I show, which I kind of enjoyed to be honest, like a little bit were topics uh, like the topic would be or the caption would be realistic day in the life of a stay-at-home mom of a 12-year-old and then it just a 12-month-old, sorry. And then it would show the kid having like, tantrum, crying, screaming, snot, nappy change, nappy change, more tantrums. And then it would show the mum getting really stressed, taking a breath in the corner, coffee going cold. And I'm like, that is the reality, but that's also only like 20% of my day. But I also wonder, like, is this just a trend where it at one point it was glorified where people would take all these photos and videos of their kid and use them like a prop and dress them up or whatever. And now they're like, no, let's be real. So they're doing, they've gone too far the other way. But I don't know. It is interesting. And especially seeing the younger generation's response to this being like, I don't want kids. I see those comments all the time. Like, the younger generation. That's the first, that, that, yeah. within the 10 minute mark of the podcast, <laughs> referred to people five Take years younger than every you time. as the younger generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I always, I honestly forget um, how like young we are sometimes still. And I, my, in my, <laughs> Mother's group, I'm the youngest by um, like three or four years and they've all just oh. actually just found out that I'm still in my 20s um, and they're all in their 30s and I feel like I was like, oh, I didn't even realise that either. I thought I was in my mid-30s as well. I just <laughs> <laughs> forgetting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's a bit weird but, you know, <laughs> sleep deprivation does weird things to your brain. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think it's there. There is definitely a way that it's it's changed how it's perceived, um, at least on social media. And I guess a lot of movies that have come out recently as well have been showing like the struggles. And a lot of it is, I would say, I mean, I haven't seen the Kevin Hart one, but a lot of it is towards women trying to balance work life, being a wife, being a mother and all the household domestic chores and duties. And then people are like, well, why would I add so much more into my already full plate? Like what is appealing about that? Aside from the fact you have a child <laughs> and a family, like what is actually appealing about this? So it it is interesting. I don't know. What are your thoughts as a parent, as a childless uh, yeah, non-parent? Someone who's never had a child. I mean, uh, as far um, as you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I just look at w what is presented in uh, popular art and media and 
I relate to the observations you're making. Obviously, I'm not getting that same for you page of uh, mothers talking about the specific reality, but I get a lot of, I wouldn't say a cynical view of parenthood, but sometimes almost borderline cynical and realistic uh, view of parenthood. And it, it doesn't look appealing for someone who hasn't had kids. I look at that and I think, oh, okay. They don't look like they're enjoying it. That's the other big thing. A lot of these people yeah. who seem to be making these videos almost seem to be doing it as some form of um, like a, a form of therapy almost. They're, they're yeah. By showcasing how uh, hard their life is at the moment, they maybe get a bit of release or something. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Or, or maybe, you know. Like I said, I don't have <laughs> uh, babies or children, so uh, by all means, you know, tell me if, you, if you're making those videos showcasing the realistic side of uh, motherhood or fatherhood, what's going through your mind when you when you do something like that? Is it just about sort of sharing the reality or is it more about giving yourself some kind of a release? Um, it's very interesting because pre-social media, when I was a kid, I obviously wouldn't have been consuming parenting content then but in disney films and in um, teenage fiction and just in popular culture generally it seemed like there was a very idyllic and positive view of uh, parenting almost to the point where it it just seemed unrealistic and Mm. like i said earlier i would just make the comparison where i think there's now an unrealistic view presented of not just career, but a, a high, uh, lavish sort of career where yeah. on Instagram people who are entrepreneurs, this is always the term everyone gives themselves, uh, they'll show a photo of themselves at the Qantas Lounge in a glamorous mm. outfit flying to a different city. And, you know, that's as someone who does fly to different cities and run my own business, that's maybe 2% of the work. You know, 98% of it is admin and managing and and a lot of stress. Where's the cash flow? Uh, what are we going to do next week? What are the ticket sales like? It's not how it's presented in on Instagram. And, and I wonder how this is influencing people, younger people, when they're seeing that the, the ideal seems to be flying around, jet setting, wearing designer clothes, running your own business. When What is it? Some exorbitant statistic where a huge majority of businesses fail uh, and you compare that to the way parenthood is presented generally on social media which is a far more realistic but oftentimes um, I wouldn't say negative but just uh, tiring and uh, uh, well sometimes negative perception and and in view of how it's uh, presented. Mm, exactly. And also I find that not even just the traveling around, but just the romanticizing these crazy, like, you know, you go, you go out and you have all these team lunches um, or even just the, the way your desk looks with the cute stationery. <laughs> I see that's, That's more like email centric I've but, seen. Because like, you know, um, that day they've just sent like piles of emails and probably been yelled at by the boss. Yeah, literally. And I know um, a girl who is a, 
she's a personal assistant. She gets paid a lot of money and every day she's uploading like these humongous tables, like boardrooms of amazing uh, food, cakes, alcohol, like all these things. And then behind the scenes, she's like, I literally just get abused all day, get yelled at, get all this shit dumped on me. And when you think about like people in marketing or especially like real estate, when I dated someone in real estate, he was so proud to be in real estate, which I thought was great. And like, good for you. You should be proud if that's your thing. Um, And he wore suits, like (laughs) basically slept in a suit. He wore them so often. All his photos were suit. Like he was so, he glorified it so much. He made like videos on on his Instagram stories, like showing off houses. But in reality, he was working like 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., six days a week. (laughs) And I was like, when do you, like, this is your life. And every time I saw him, he was so stressed, so burnt out, had so much work to do, always texting with um, people, negotiating or whatever, texting with the owners, like on call 24-7 basically. And it's like, well, it's – Wanting to then go and look at his Instagram, and be like, I'm. He's like, I'm living my dream. I'm doing this. Like, this is this is the life. Working in luxury houses or whatever. And then behind the scenes, he's like, I haven't done anything for myself in 94 days. <laughs> I just I haven't had a day off or whatever. Um, so it it is um, it is interesting. But like also, and from personal experience, it's funny how. It's always that grass is always greener side. Like when I worked in a really um, high intensity role with clients and and going out and doing all these things and interventions and uh, investigations, I would always like fantasize about working in like working in a cute office job. Like, oh my God, what I would kill to just be a receptionist, (laughs) like just do something in my mind, that was more simplistic than what I was doing, where I could sit at a desk. And then I actually took a, still in the same industry, but in like, um, but basically a desk job. And I was there for three months because I was like, this is so fucking boring. Like I need the action. I need the drama. I need, (laughs) I need the threats. (laughs) I need the abuse. Like put me back in the field. But I feel like it's, It's so like that. And my, my brother is um, is the same. He works in marketing at the moment and he and advertising and he does really well. He makes a lot of money. He does he's really good at his job. But so many times he's gone and studied like random things. Like he went and did a PT course because he thought he would do that. He's really, really like crazy fit and active. And then he was like teaching BJJ and then um then he's gone and studied. Now he's doing psych, studying psych as well. Always wanting to change his career. Oh, and he's applied to be like a fireman. Always kind of oh finding God. like that other thing that's really, I know he's ADHD. So he's like hyper fixates on random things at periods of time. Um, but always like wanting the next give me the next thing, give you the next thing I could work towards. Like, which I think I have those traits as well. And it's, that's been something I've like missed, but also enjoyed missing out on since having a baby, like 
feeling like life is so slow and I'm really just enjoying this period of my life at the moment. But before I had a baby, I was always like, I need to be making an extra $10,000 every single year. I need to be making sure that I'm working up the ranks, which is hard to do in the realm of like therapy and social work and things like that to make pay rises like that. But I was so pushy and I was so determined and I was always like, and then I'd get there and I'd be like, what's next? <laughs> when am I getting my next pay rise? When am I going to like push? And then I, it was only till like someone actually that was in my team, I employed her and she was like 50. Um, and she was like, you're 28 years old. Like, calm down, <laughs> slow down. You know, I'm, I've been studied the same things as you, work the same things as you. I'm 40 years, uh, 50 years old, like relax. You've got time to progress in that way. But it's, and I was thinking of this, you know, when you come across people that are, this is getting a bit deep, but people that have, um, are old or sick and unwell and their or their life is threatened or something happens like a big traumatic event in their life. And they're like, why did I spend so much of my life just thinking what happens next? Like, where do I go next with this Um, rather than living in the moment? And I think that social media glorifies so much of this hustle culture and how amazing it is to be dedicating your entire life to a career and, um, and, and progressing yourself. I follow, of course, I'm going to bring up Reddit again, but I follow a subreddit called, um, anti-work and it's all about people being like putting in boundaries with their workplace like hey actually I'm not going to be working past five o'clock unless you're paying me by the hour and stuff like that and then the retaliations they get so it's super interesting but yeah I don't know and one more comment I wanted to make as well just I felt like I talked a lot of shit about people mums that were like doing the realistic day in the life or whatever but I think that one one thing I've noticed about friends and family or people I know that have had babies recently is I'm pretty uncommon in the sense that I, I'm like the only person I know that actually joined a mother's group, whereas everyone else I know that has had babies hasn't joined mother's group. It's actually very uncommon. And if, even though I'm sure that they might have friends or family nearby, a lot of people don't. And so those videos provide solidarity to other women where sure, the internet yeah. becomes like their tribe where they get that support from other women. And there's been so many times that I've seen videos where um, it's on both sides of the spectrum with like, with say, for example, baby sleep, which everyone knows <laughs> I struggle with so much. I've talked about it 7,000 times. I'm so sick of talking about it. But like I would see videos being like, here's my six-month-old's nighttime routine. Give him a bath, read him a book. Then I lay him down in his cot and he sleeps to 8.30 a.m. Whereas me, I would do this, like this amazing routine and he'd sleep in 45-minute increments <laughs> and like, be up for two hours at 3 a.m. and that kind of stuff. And then being able to see those realistic, you know, in the middle of the night waking, I was like, thank God my baby's not broken. <laughs> like it's just the reality of not, you know, all babies are the same. So I don't know, there's pros and cons to both. But, yeah, it is really interesting to see how people are finding and looking at one lifestyle now being much more appealing than the other and I feel like that's that career focus is, is looking more 
appealing and it's interesting to see how much that has switched in the last like 10 or 20 years compared to what it used to be. Look, people are, I mean, there was always, there's always been, particularly in the middle and upper classes, there's been a romanticization of certain career paths. I think back Mm. to say Sex in the City, that was very much glorification of single independent career women uh, loving their life and Funnily enough, I think the creator of Sex in the City has recently come out and said, oh, I regret not having kids. So, Wow, that that's ironic. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, of course, I wasn't tr- I'm not trying to judge anyone who's making those yeah. videos. I, just, I would be just interested as to yeah, why uh, they might be doing that. Um, and even that sounds judgmental, but I just mean it in the sense of like, you know, um, why does anyone post anything on social media? There's some sort of like when you're talking about that real estate agent, um, if he's not enjoying his life and having such a stressful time, why are you lying to the world? Why are you telling the world, look how good this is? Look at me in my lavish suit doing yeah. $100,000 deals. The people who are actually enjoying their career aren't sitting there posting about it all the time. It's an insecurity thing, I would argue, because I don't, look, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I'm. You know, this was always my dream to be a somewhat famous comedian touring the country and flying around doing shows and I post about it but not every single week saying look at me here in the in the gold lounge or whatever <laughs> it's just should. I just so cr- I just find that really yeah. cringeworthy to be honest um yeah. I think once I posted when my f- first manager took me into the, one of those Qantas lounges and I thought oh wow <laughs> I made it and then, <laughs> yeah, you see, well, this actually sounds even worse. Well, now you're in those lounges, you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> actually sounds, yeah. That sounds even more arrogant, actually. <laughs> but um, the point is I just don't feel the need to to boast about that when, you know, the reality is very different. There's still a lot of stress involved. Uh, everything becomes a job after a while. You could you could be mm. three four years as a uh, having made it as an artist of some sort, and then eventually it just becomes a job. In the sense, I still absolutely love what I do; it gives me so much fulfillment and meaning. But the day to day process is work. It's waking up at a certain time, making sure that first getting the admin done, then writing jokes, then writing jokes on this particular topic, then refining this, then uh, planning and. Look, once a year you get to do an amazing show at a beautiful theater and that's actually what I would um, post about on social media. But the, the, the stark reality is that it's not too dissimilar to anyone else's job. There's just a certain status that comes with it. And I suppose not too much on the individual inclinations of why people might be posting, but the macro effect of these two trends is that Younger people see uh, this sort of lavish, romantic, idyllic lifestyle presented in a career-focused, entrepreneurial lens, and then they see this kind of dull, laborious reality of having a, a family. And how does that impact society on a on a mass scale? That that clearly, to me, it just it it would influence people to refrain from having children when they should still be able to make that informed choice, but then at least show the reality of both sides. Mm. Uh, show the reality of uh, what it's like in a high-powered law firm. You're getting yelled at all day, underslept, 
in both <laughs> look pick your poison you're going to you're going to yeah. be lacking sleep either way um so uh yeah. pick your poison and show be informed about the reality of what either situation would be like uh, i would guess a lot more people would then not want to pursue this kind of entrepreneurial lavish lifestyle i mean even on some of these reality tv shows we watch there's always someone there that's this boss who try their first shot is them in a lamborghini coming out in slow motion if it's a guy he's yeah. putting the sunnies on you know um if it's a girl she's in a really fancy dress coming out and look half these people are in debt they're all in debt they've bought this car to impress their yeah. potential clients because they don't even have any because <laughs> i know people like this and it's sad it's actually quite sad but and some are obviously very successful but look the 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 Zuckerbergs and the Bill Gates of the world, they are, they're not too autistic to worry about that stuff. They're sitting there like analyzing code all day. Um, and the people who uh, present this image of look how successful I am, in the same way someone who might be insecure about their, their body might be always presenting an image, oh, look how good my body is, in the same way someone who might be insecure about their ability to attract women is always presenting, look at, look at this, look at all these girls I'm with at the club, I would guess there's a form of uh, projection from that insecurity coming with that posting. Yeah, so true. One of my, this reminds me, one of my um, good friends back in the day, he, he was, he's so lovely and so funny and so inexperienced with women, never, ever, I can't even just pinpoint his personality, but he just had no success with women. And he, we would go clubbing and he would just go up to attractive girls being like, can I have a photo with you? <laughs> like to like eight different girls a night and <laughs> just upload the photo, photos and his whole Instagram, which is him and all these beautiful women. <laughs> and I was like, he literally has never had a conversation with anyone, only ever said, can I have a photo? And that's and 90% of the time they'd say no. I'd be like, what the fuck, no. But the ones that said yes, they're on they're on his social media. Hilarious. Um, oh, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's it is. sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a little bit sad. Um, but it is a really good point that I guess on a macro level as well, what what is leading us to feel this need to kind of – I don't think it's so much insecurity. I feel like it's more – well, it can be in like in cases like that, but I feel like the flaunting is just it's vanity, and we're so we as people are so narcissistic as uh, becoming more and more narcissistic, where we think so much of us just ourselves and what benefits us rather than thinking outwards. It's and I don't blame people for that because it's so hard to have a community in these days where everything costs money. There's no like free local activities. Um, people don't volunteer anymore where that used to be like a really big and trendy thing. Like that's no longer trendy. So people just don't do it. Um, and it's, it's hard to think. And also without like with the, the decreased amount of people having babies where you're actually, which I don't, I'm not against that. If you don't want kids, please, for the love of God, do not have kids. <laughs> Cause I worked with kids that weren't wanted and it's devastating but people that don't have kids sometimes it's even you're even less likely to think about people other than yourselves or your immediate partner and so it's and I was listening to um 
Can I? Uh, a podcast. From, I can't. Sorry. Go. Just, and just a, a quick point I want to make is uh, how much is the incidence of people not wanting to have kids due to the fact that we're just seeing the reality of those kids as opposed to maybe some reality, some ideal, uh, compare, juxtapose that with some ideal and some reality of a career. But, yeah, go on. Yeah, well, that's a really good point as well because if you go on the um, subreddit on the fence where it's literally people that are on the fence about having kids, one of the biggest reasons for not wanting to have kids is, and I still, and I think this is fair, but it is interesting, is that they don't want to have to make sacrifices. They don't want to give up certain aspects of themselves. They like that they can go and travel. They like that they can party. They like that they don't have to think about anyone other than, other than themselves, as in think about as in, you know, organize someone's life. And I do think that that is a fair assessment because I was thinking about this actually on my walk today that since having a baby, my entire life has been like all I think about. And, I, you know, I'm still breastfeeding. I'm still like he's only 10 months old, so it's like still new. So I think a lot of this is hormonal, but like 90% of my thoughts are like how can I make – Remy's life and Remy's childhood just like amazing and it's it and then I was noticing about myself like well I it's crazy how much like 90 like almost my whole personality now is like my not my personality but I guess my motivation is about raising a child and I can understand why some people are like I don't want that and of course not everyone that has a kid is like that like most of my mother's group or most of the people I know that had kids or babies recently went back to work literally a few months after having a baby and it's almost like their life is normal they just come home and pick up their baby (laughs) whereas I'm with mine 24 hours a day so it's different in that um aspect but what I found interesting about this on the fence forum is a lot of people were saying like, you know, I've been on the fence since I was 24 and me and my husband talked about it and now I'm 40 years old and I'm still on the fence. Like, and I'm starting to realise from reading all these posts that sometimes you're never going to be off the fence. Sometimes you're never going to have that clarity on should I do this or should I not? It's just not going to come and it's one of those, it's a gamble. It is truly a gamble. And there's, you know, there's other, like I see on occasion people talk about how, I love my children more than anything, but I actually don't love being a parent. And that's like a hard, um, like it's a very vulnerable thing to say, like, you know, hats off to them. But also imagine that child seeing their parents say that or hearing them say that, making a video go viral about it on the internet. Um, But then it's positive in the same that so many parents might relate to that. It's just, um, it's crazy. It's it's a lot. It's hard. It's very. You never know, especially when like, so much of it falls onto one person, like as much as a father or or alternative partner is involved. If one of you is working, the majority of the parenting is going to fall to the parent that isn't working. Absolutely, yeah, and that's still, and that's yeah. almost always still the mother. I mean, yeah, I, don't, I haven't looked at yeah. statistics, but um, yeah, it seems like it still is, uh, and. How much of it is also just the the option paralysis that we're dealt with today compared to 50, 60 years ago where there was no real option on the table. You just had kids. That was what everyone did. 
and they mightn't have even been birth control, so you're probably going to have them regardless. Yeah. And to 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 fit into the community, you had to get married. And as controlling as that was, it was a way to organize communities and build a social framework. And now we're um, we're stuck with this, uh, you know, uh, cosmopolitan uh, secular world where the options are endless. You can, well, they're not endless per se, but you know, you can you can do that. You can go be the career person. You don't even have to do that. You can work two days a week for the rest of your life and for the other uh, five, uh, four days of the week go just be out in nature and that that can be your life. You can you can have 10 kids if you want. Uh, there's no uh, social code telling you exactly what you should do with your individual life and maybe that's causing this uh, pervasive level of anxiety among our generation yeah. and yeah. ironically enough if there actually was a pathway forward that everyone just... Um, undertook, it might alleviate some of that anxiety for a lot of people who may not want that burden of, uh, of well, liberalism, of the uh, the freedom to to do all those things because that freedom can actually be uh, anxiety-provoking because these are huge decisions and maybe we're better off not making those decisions and there's just some sort of traditional wisdom that makes those decisions for us, uh, I was listening to a podcast about Israel, and look, this is not, I'm not, there's a lot of things wrong about Israel, but uh, there's a very high birth rate in Israel, and it's not a developing country. Um, there's a portion of Israel that's extremely, extremely religious, but still a majority of that would be secular Jews. So they're partaking all the traditions and things like that, but they, when they're asked specific questions, you know, how much does the belief in God mean to you? A lot of them might say, oh, I don't necessarily believe in a God as such, but I do the traditions. Uh, I, you know, my family are culturally Jewish and they still have a lot of children. They have quite large families on average. And they, the theory behind that is because there's this 10% of ultra-Orthodox Jewish people who are having an average of six children each. And then the people around them might also be having just maybe the average two or three children. But it's just so normal in that society to have children that you don't really think about it. Mm. Instead of thinking, do I want children? You think, oh, okay, when do I have them? And maybe that's bad because there are people who might not be, uh, might not have the personality that's appropriate for child rearing who are sort of implicitly forced into it. Or maybe it's good because then there isn't this option paralysis of, oh, I need to make this huge decision before I'm 30. Um, and then if, if, it, if it's after 30, then, you know, it's suddenly becoming panic stations and we have to make that decision quickly. And I don't know, what if I do this? What if I do that? It's a, it's a lifelong commitment. And, yeah. you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's anxiety inducing to have to think, make that choice. I think you're right on the money with the option paralysis. And even though I was just saying before that, you know, people can be struggle to think outside of themselves and, and they're self-serving. I think another really big part that I guess contradicts that, but um, is people that are so selfless that they think like I've had so many messages or I know so many people and I see online so often 
people saying things like, I've got bipolar, should I, even though I'm medicated, supported, should I not have a child? Or I have BPD or I have chronic anxiety. Am I going to be able to, not even just because of the, it may be genetic or hereditary, what if it's just too hard for me to handle? I don't want to, you know, put my child through anything like that, which I think is really selfless and great to consider. But um, I do see option paralysis and the fact that, you know, our society is such a, we're in such like an anxious time and mental health is so, it's just mental health illness and is just continually, continuously growing um, and becoming more of an issue. And people are like, I've got to sort my shit out before I can even think of you know, children. And I, you made an interesting point as well about like wanting some, like wanting people to not have to make the decision themselves. Like you almost want to ask someone else, like, can you tell me, should I have kids or not? Because society is telling me I can do what I want, but what do I do? And that's why people go to psychics and things like that because <laughs> well, fair enough. Yeah. it's just, they're like, I need someone because a therapist isn't going to tell me. Um, I need a and like potentially, psychic to tell me or something. How much of, of the mental health crisis is because of these eternal options that we face? Yeah. Could that be actually exacerbating, ironically enough, we have all this freedom yeah. now, uh, but that freedom, is yeah. not, we're not used to that. We don't know what to do. And I think 100%. And, and it's not just applying to children, obviously, like how often – have I had conversations and people talking to me and messaging me saying like my my partner's really great I love him but is this the best like could I be doing better and to be honest like to be frank and and really honest like when I was younger (laughs) I did the same thing in my early 20s being like well I'm in a good relationship but I want to know what else is out there and I want to know if like I can feel even more intensely or more passionately or whatever so I would date for three years leave the relationship date someone for three years leave the relationship date someone for two I did heaps up until basically this current relationship um or when I was in my mid-20s and I was like actually studying um and relationships and counseling and behavioral science and things like that and I was like oh my god (laughs) I see the pattern here um but it's it it is that like the grass is always greener can I be doing better oh well now I have the capacity to divorce which by the way I obviously completely support um but it's so common and so normal that the people are like well let's just split up. I'm not feeling as passionate about someone. So rather than it being like we're breaking up because there was, you know, violence, abuse, manipulation or disloyalty, betrayals, etc. It's I'm breaking up because my heart just wasn't with him anymore or, or something, which, you know, I don't want to invalidate that because I've done that so many times and I have no regrets about it. But it is also that mentality of nothing is permanent and there's so many options out there and do we always desire the better option? Are we always thinking about something else? So I think it's like a a really good life lesson is like, you know, the grass is greenest where you water it. (laughs) Think about that all the time. And that comes back to that Esther Perel sentiment where she talks Mm. about how in modern secular life we – 
don't just expect a, a partner, a romantic partner. We want someone who's a best friend, a yeah. spiritual confidant, uh, also a romantic a partner. Sex someone that, yeah, can yeah. sort of excite us sexually. And we put all yeah. this emphasis on the on this one person that no one can fulfill. Absolutely no one can fulfill all those things. So uh, there's that's the million-dollar question. How, how do we, in this very... Uh, seemingly progressive liberal world, how do we alleviate some of that option paralysis without controlling people and not uh, still giving them the choice? I, I don't know how you do that. That's a, that's a big question that society needs to answer. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't even know the answer to that. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really hard thing because I was going to say, you know, take my first thought was instead of thinking five, ten years, just take one day at a time and really be present. But you can't do that when you're thinking about children or um, major career changes or whatever. You can't just be like, hmm, today I've decided I want a baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't back out of that. <laughs> yeah, well, you can, what? but there's potential <laughs> trauma aside, yeah, you know. Yeah, don't want to do so that. So that's... Um, um, that's hard. What what would you, uh, in a more micro context, what have you talked about your policy with Adrian if, say, Remy wants to do something that you, when he's a teenager, drugs or something like that where, you know, do yeah. you let – you have to give children some space to make their own mistakes, but some of those mistakes yeah. are so severe that you have to just put your foot down as a parent and say, no, 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 you just simply can't do that. Where do you draw the line there or where do you plan to draw that line? Oh, I feel like I've got all the plans for this. <laughs> we talked about this okay. so much. But um, I I know that um, I actually have never done drugs ever, not nothing, not even a cigarette because I, I have such an addictive personality that I and knew that as a kid as well that I just never went near anything because I knew I would get hooked. If I like something, I know I'll get hooked. I've always been like that and – Adrian, he has a similar personality, but he did everything. <laughs> so he was one of those like stoner kids. Um, and that I think really like fucked him up a lot as a teenager. And it was really hard and it really excelled his anxiety as well. So I'm, I would plan to say to Remy, um, if you want to experiment with drugs, don't inject yourself with anything at the bare minimum. Just don't inject yourself. Experiment. There's a lot of things you can experiment with before that. Um, know where your drugs come from. Know who you're sourcing it from. Um, I'm not going to get them for you. <laughs> for you, your grandparents might. Not kidding. Um, but <laughs> I would. <laughs> I would just um, be really realistic, being like, you know, if if he is predisposed to have ADHD, which he is, um, based on my family and Adrian having ADHD, I would say that it's more, there is more likely that you will get, you could potentially become addicted to these substances. It's more likely that it will, um, have a different impact on your brain than it could your friends that don't have this. And this is the reality of it. And also if you want to do drugs at home, it do them, Please do like if you're gonna like experiment with drugs that are mind altering. Please do them at home or share your location or something like that with me, just in case. And finally, my parents always told me when I was growing up, um, they basically told me if you want to do drugs, like 
do it safely, same same messages. And my mum was like, this one's shit, don't do this one. Um, and I never did. I had so much freedom wow. as, as a teenager. I was allowed to – I never had to run away because I would just say I'm heading out or whatever. And I didn't do anything bad ever because I had that like um, – my parents were like assertive, firm – firm and assertive, but they also knew the realities of what it's like to be a teenager. Um, and I never did anything bad. So, and they always told me no matter what time it is, no matter where you are or what you've done or what mistake has happened, call me and I'll come get you. Like it's, there's no, yeah. So I would, I would plan to do the same. Like I have, especially with, um, boys, I think are slightly more, uh, likely to take more, you know, do more risk-takey decisions. So I have to accept the reality of that. <laughs> risk-takey, more risky decisions. Um, so that's that's the reality. They're going to experiment with things. I think the thing I'm going to be the strictest on is, you know, as a teenage boy, you're going to be so horny and hormonal. Please don't make impulsive decisions for uh, about sex with girls because, and don't manipulate girls saying you have feelings for them and things like that if you're just trying to get laid. Um, I think that'll be the thing I'm really strict about is how he approaches sex with, you know, his peers. <laughs> That's yeah. going to be something I'm really honing in on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a tricky one, particularly with teenagers because it's in their nature to rebel. Yeah. And they may not understand. And, you, you know, you can rationally articulate, hey, this is why drugs are bad. This is why sugar is bad. This is why all these things yeah. are bad. But they may not be able to fully comprehend that. They may say, yeah, I understand that it's bad, but they also have a much more impulsive exactly. mindset. So they're going to do it. They're going to do a lot of yeah. those things. And um, you have to sort of allow them some space to do that. But Exactly. And things like not drugs, but... I wouldn't source drugs for my child, but things like alcohol. If if Remy came to me and said, I'm going to drink at this party, I'd be like, I'll get you alcohol because I don't want him getting a bottle of vodka or something. I, or I would be like, I'd get him a six pack of beer. That's what my parents did for us when we were like, we're yeah, going to drink. Mum did that. By the time they I was just like bought us 17, alcohol. yeah. 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 Uh. It's we probably like very no, uncomfortable for them to do that because if I had a yeah. 16-year-old, because, yeah, you, you sort of you think, okay, if I don't do it, they're going to source it from some potentially yeah. worse um, vendor and it's yeah. better I just buy it and tell them, look, this is still bad for you, don't drink too much, but, look, you have to make those mistakes yourself sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That's. I think that's the best thing that when I worked at a youth center and we would give out free condoms, I had a line of boys <laughs> coming up to me trying to get condoms, and I'd be like, "You guys can have as many of you want as you want, but you have to listen to my safe sex talk beforehand." And that was the deal. And that's what I would take that approach with alcohol. I'm not going to be like, "You can have as much as you want, but if you want me to source you alcohol." you're going to have to have this conversation with me. And if you want to go on the pill, if I have a girl or if Remy's girlfriend in the future asks me about that or whatever, or you want condoms, you're going to have, we're going to have this conversation. 
Mm. I would, I would have actually, my children will have condoms on access regardless. Even if I don't think they're getting laid, they're going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> That's worse. If, if he can't get laid and then he's like, oh, my mom got me condoms and I can't even use them. <laughs> so, yeah. so that, I, I would guess most parents would uh, agree with that general sentiment where you, you have to allow children to make some mistakes themselves, but then have boundaries where they need to be so you know there'd yeah. be some drugs maybe all right if you want to do weed when you're 16 okay um still this is why it's bad this is why you know ideally you should do it but look a few of your friends are going to do it and it's probably going to be too hard to say no but then you know you're not going to let them experiment with ice or something like that that's a yeah. hard no where you <laughs> okay hard, you, you just absolutely cannot do that and yeah. th- what you said is correct look if if that were to happen I'm always there and you need to know that and you should always tell me, but also don't do it. <laughs> um, that's, yeah. a, that's a tough comment. Yeah, I wouldn't know how to do that. Yeah. Do not envy the parents who unfortunately <laughs> have uh, teenagers who are in that situation. But see, that's the sort of micro uh, scale at which that's occurring. How do we then, you, how do we implement that on a macro level where some people might be making really bad decisions and we don't want to just restrict every – I mean, there's obviously there's a need for criminal laws if it's violence and, and whatnot, but how do we say when it, when it comes to decisions such as spiritual decisions and, and family, career, these sorts of things, if someone's clearly got a very unhealthy relationship with their job and it's hurting them and also hurting the people around them, but they their narrative might be, oh, look, this is what I want to do, um, this is fulfilling – is it possible to to do to to emphasize that kind of sentiment on a macro scale where we allow people uh, uh, a, a boundary of freedom, but then there's just an area where culturally, if you go, that's out of bounds. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's um, it's really tricky, I guess, because every every avenue will have its own solution. Like with work, that's why HR exists and things like that. My um my friend works in I don't know like what the organization like workers' comp basically, and she said that it's crazy what they can get people paid for. Like she has a client that's getting ten years of a salary because she was put on a performance plan felt it was unjust and then had ongoing PTSD and stress from that Um, and because she had to work heaps of hours to meet the requirements of the performance plan, which goes for I think it was like six weeks or 12 weeks, something like that, and now is getting paid year after year after year because of the ongoing stress for that, which is like, you know, it's one of those things that if you implement more, People are going to take advantage of that. Not saying this person has, um, but there's so much capacity for that, especially with the rise of anxiety um, and mental illness combined with work stress. And it's yeah, it, there's so many recipes for disaster. It's a really hard thing to. I guess, um, overcome. And it's one of those things as well that this is why life skills needs to be taught from a younger age, like in high school, people need to know more about careers and tax and family or whatever. And, or even in, um, 
university or tertiary studies. Like I had to, in my degree, um, which was counseling and behavioral science, I went to uh, the university of Notre Dame and they have this compulsory um, thing that you have to study alongside it. I can't remember the name. I think it was called like Logos, Logos or something like that, which basically was like philosophy and theology and it was like this compulsory course you had to do my entire degree. It was such bullshit and it was so boring. And I'm like, if you're going to make something compulsory, make it interesting. Like make it like be life skills or something like that. It's so essential. And it, it, what's funny actually is that some of my clients that were in um, the kids I worked with that had intellectual disabilities or delays would be in the support unit and it's part of the support unit in these schools, they teach them life skills like how to get on a bus, how to use money, how to open a bank account or whatever. And the irony was that these kids that had these disabilities finished high school knowing more about these things than the children that didn't have any disabilities because their school didn't teach them any of that because they didn't think they didn't deem it necessary. And it's fascinating. Like for most people that go on to tertiary study, you're making like these lifelong decisions um, or what could be lifelong decisions that at 18 years old or 17 years old or earlier being like, okay, well, I'm just going to study this. And then, then if you change your mind, you're $36,000 in debt based on this degree that you don't want to go to waste. Um, it's such a – the system is really hard. I mean, I mean, in an optimal world, education would be free, so there's more opportunity to change career. And um, if that were – if you were on the wrong path or you regretted it or whatever, it's um, – I don't know. It's What are your thoughts? Oh, well, on just the education – sector i think there's too much emphasis placed on tertiary education and i think yeah. for most jobs you don't need a degree and you mm. can learn on the job or you can do a one-year tafe course or something like that and what's happened is the value of a degree is less than what it used to be because so many people are being mm. pushed into degrees because the universities want to make money and then this is also an issue with the poor business model of the universities and then they rely on international students so they have to decrease their standards to push all these international students through because they're paying three to four times the tuition of a local student. So the whole uh, education system is a mess and it's, yeah. it's, it's the incentives are not appropriate for just actually educating people as best as they possibly can. Having said that, I never actually went to university. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm doing all right. Um, <laughs> so I was supposed to, con- to conclude – Look, a lot of these things are just natural cultural phenomena that you can't really force to to change because once you give people freedom, if, if it so happens that a lot of parents are using that freedom to showcase the reality of parenting and then a lot of people who might be pursuing a um, lavish high-flying career are just showcasing the ideal of that as opposed to the reality um, that is occurring and that is having flow on effects, but I don't know how we control something for that, but I just, you know, I'd like to, I, it would be, I think it would be cool if more parents showed a mix of the reality and also mm. not necessarily something that's unrealistic, but you know, when they have Good those really nice bad. family photos or even when you post, you know, you, you got yeah. Remy with the dog and Adrian, that's very, that's very sweet. That's very cute. That, that, 
is a very positive depiction of family life. And then I also think people can um, post about the reality of a career because a lot Mm. of people are being um, manipulated into thinking this is just this awesome boss lifestyle. You just get to fly around in sexy corporate attire and make decisions (laughs) and make six figures and it's just nonsense. I mean there's some jobs that are like that but even those you'd find uh, the reality is starkly different to how it's presented on social media. So don't take those posts at face value. Um, I think and most people sort of know this when when you tell them that. They think, yeah, yeah, I know that's all unrealistic but because like what we talk about a lot, the the way that these images are affecting our emotions and consistently affecting our emotions, we almost have this unconscious desire to want to emulate that and exactly and that's that's the power of media that's the power of art um but it's it's manipulating you all these all these uh entrepreneurs on instagram look i guarantee you they're not their life is not what it's made out to be so um be uh reasonably skeptical I remember where I heard this, um, or maybe you told me this, but we were talking about it in a podcast ages ago um, about how people from banks were saying in Australia as well that young people take out like credit cards and of 30 grand or whatever and um, put themselves in massive debt, buying themselves a car, getting an apartment and putting like crazy nice furniture in it to help kickstart. Like they're like, if you want to be successful, then you got to start dressing successful kind of (laughs) mentality or trying to kickstart that influencer lifestyle by looking like they're rich. And I saw this video um, today on TikTok, which I thought was really good of this. She's like, she's not like a body positive type influencer she's just a random like she's an influencer on tiktok but she doesn't have your you know ideal body she's just got a normal body and she was at she posted a photo a video at the beach being like you know just looking around at the beach and there's no one here that has those like instagram model bodies everyone here like basically everyone here just has a normal body and even though as women and on social media etc we're always seeing these body positive accounts and we understand the um the impacts of face tuning and editing and but you still forget like even though you know those things you're still being influenced by constantly seeing these perfect ideals on your social media, even though you're aware of that's not realistic or whatever, you're still subconsciously being influenced. That was one of the best things I actually did. Like I did it like 10 years ago or a bit less, but I unfollowed everyone on Instagram that I thought was something that made me feel insecure or made me feel jealous or whatever. Even things that I was using being like, this will motivate and inspire me because they're really attractive or they're doing this or whatever. I was like, no, I'm unfollowing them. Like if they're not making me feel they're not actually helping me or educating me, I basically did followed only accounts that I thought were like funny, Mm. educational in terms of like psychology and relationships or friends and family. Like, and that was a, it was a massive change in my own mental health. Cause, but before that I was following a lot of like fit gym women and, 
and attractive influencers just because I was always curious about their lifestyle and all the things they were doing. And now I, I don't follow anyone like that. Yeah. There's uh, on the on the male side, all these money gurus have a oh, similar yeah. effect where they yeah. loan them are in debt and they take out a loan to start their course and then their course is what eventually yeah. gets them out of debt and into profitability. So they're, everyone's yeah. being mani- manipulated, really. Like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They say, hey, look, I can show you the way. And look, any any kind of honest accumulation of wealth is going to take a long time and it's not for everyone. Like, you know, 80 to 90% of people should be living what would otherwise be considered a normal life. They just get a normal, regular job. They're not all – not everyone can be an entrepreneur and – go get a side business and then maybe if that's successful then you can think about i can do this full time but it's not something you just jump into like with any life skill you'd have to show some sort of talent for that when you're a child and a teenager and then maybe that could be the life for you but it's very it's very risky and there's often a lot of debt involved and a lot of uncertainty and and often more work the, the lavish lifestyle is shown, but there's often more work going on behind the scenes. So just this uh, idea that normality is insignificant or it's not something that, you, you, you know, that's not your full potential because there's all this kind of – a lot of American media talks about this and, and I understand how people who have, you know, quote-unquote made it want to promulgate this narrative that if you just work hard and you aim for the stars, you can become the big star, you can become the big UFC fighter or whatever it might be. But that's, look, statistically, we're looking at 0.001% of people that are going to do that. And the sad thing is 1% of people will work very hard and dedicate themselves to getting to that point. And and of that, an even smaller percentage will, will actually get there. And it's not for everyone and, and it's almost like a Ponzi scheme where if everyone's kind of buying into that, well, just living what could be considered a normal life actually becomes more valuable in a way because no one's doing yeah. that. So um, people need just, you know, like if, if anything goes wrong in society, what do you need? You need people who can fix things at the end of the day. You don't need, well, you don't need me. <laughs> I'm not going to be any help. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, it might be the, the, the pendulum might be swinging. We'll see. I think so. Yeah. We'll All right. See. Well, um, thank you for listening to that one, everyone. Let, let us know your thoughts if you're watching on YouTube. And any any final thoughts from you, Eliza? I don't know. I feel like. I'm leaving this having an existential crisis, <laughs> being like, don't follow your dreams. Uh, but I think that, you know, not to get all spiritual, but what's meant to be for you will be for you. And sometimes you need to make those mistakes and go into debt and whatever and fuck up to and or gamble it and risk it to have that potential great. Um, but maybe that potential great dream is not for everyone. Like everyone I know has a dream of owning a 
opening up a little cute cafe. I swear everyone I know. <laughs> and what's the stat? It's like less than 30% of cafes that open up stay open after a year. Um, yeah. It's, you know, just that be that realistic. Like it's great to be a dreamer. I know I'm a dreamer and I make rash decisions because of that. And, you know, I always feel like I'm lucky and it's worked in my favor. But, yeah, have be realistic and, know, yeah, know your risk. Be, re- be ready to lose the things that you want to risk it. And if you're going to leave a stable job for to start up your own company or whatever, be prepared to lose everything or gain everything. <laughs> so, and and then when you do gain everything, be prepared for the spiritual realization that comes, which is, oh, Happiness is comes from within. <laughs> yeah, actually, like I don't like this hustle and bustle. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to my desk job. <laughs> oh, I was just unhappy all along, and I need to yeah. find that happiness within. That's an that is actually a really good point to end that on. Actually, a final thought of that: you're always seeking something else. Oh, literally, I remember I, my whole dream was to perform like a sold out show at the Enmore Theater, and then I did it, and I just couldn't get out of bed the next day because I was like, oh, wow, wow, yeah. What did you? What was your feeling? Like I've done it, or were you like it wasn't as great as I thought it's it would be? A combination like, of what a what lot of things. Like? I don't even know. It was just a combination of a lot of things. But then yeah. it really did. Uh, f- that's when I started actually reading a lot of books in other topics, such as relationships and yeah. this sort of stuff. That has probably led to this podcast, ironically. So yeah, yeah, it's not all it's cracked out to be. And and don't get me wrong, I absolutely love. You know, that was a fun show and I love doing what I do. But, um, yeah, what you talked about at the start, that constant need for more and the, the validate, you're chasing the validation at the end of the day. Mm. You're not really chasing. If, if you love what you do, it doesn't matter if you're performing to 20 people or 2,000, you love what you do. Um, and, and the people who have that feeling, they they know. Mm. Mm-hmm. True that. All right, on that note, <laughs> I need to go have some serious reflection. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. Why do you need, what do you need to reflect on? I don't know. My brain's like, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't feel like I need to reflect on anything. I feel like, I always feel like no matter what is going on in my life, no matter what's fucked up or going great, I always think this is exactly where I need to be. And I, to be honest, I actually love that I think that about myself because when things are really bad, I'm like, I still think this is exactly what needed to happen. And then something great will happen six years later or something and I'll be like, see, that's why that happened back then. I love <laughs> that. I'm an optimist. No, that's <laughs> which great. Is, which is, has a lot of benefits, I think. But, yeah. That's something an optimist would say about being an <laughs> exactly. optimist. Exactly. Yeah, right. true. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, it got pretty deep at the end. Well, thank you for listening, everyone, and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next week. See you next week.